fun. Wow. Awesome. Hey, listen, I just want to welcome you guys to Ball and Chain. Yeah, thought I would just kind of welcome you guys all here. If you're a guest with us, my name's Pastor Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we've got uh, what I would consider to be a wonderful, loving, Christ-centered church that we're all striving to become more like God every single day. And that's the reason why we're going to try to get rid of things like this in our lives. All right? So if you're sitting next to someone that right now you think, man, I should probably strap that onto them because of the way they behaved this past week, um, we could probably rent this out to you. Um, this is actually someone that was in the church. Uh, this is this is their literal ball and chain. Okay, um, they were they were strapped on them at their wedding rehearsal, and they were challenged to go find the key. All right, that's a little that's a little harsh. All right, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend that for your wedding plans. But I got a way to help you get rid of the ball and chain in your relationships. Um, and the way that we're going to do that is we've, we've got this teaching series that's going on right now, but we also have a marriage seminar that's coming up. All the information about our marriage seminars in the screen behind me. It's also in your bulletin. Um, it's coming up. It's uh, There is a little bit of cost to it. I want to encourage you to go and sign up for it. Let's have as many people as we can. It doesn't really matter how old you are. Marriages can always become more healthy. So I want to encourage you to go to the marriage seminar. Uh, this ball and chain is getting a bit heavy, so I'm not going to hold it for much longer. Uh, but I do have a free seminar that I want to give away. So if you've got your cell phone, I want you to get your cell phone out. I want you to text the number that's on the screen behind me right now. And if you'll text to that number, your first and your last name, then today, after the second service, I will actually be giving away a free free registration to, to our marriage seminar. All right? So you can text in as many times as you would like, but you have to text your first and your last name. If you are Kent and Sherry Steele, um, or from that family, then you guys won last week. And so you guys cannot win again this week. I apologize to you. But uh, they won last week. They were actually attending down in the gym. So I want to encourage you to sign up, uh, figure out how you can make it, and somebody here today will win a free, uh, a free seminar. And that will be awesome, all right? Now, last week I gave you an assignment to go out and have some conversations with your spouse, or if you were single, to write down some things about relationships that you felt like um, really mattered to you. And it was called, really, our communication talk sheet. There's more of those that are out at the lobby because we realized many of you were asking for them. So we made copies of them and they're out there. So these are for people that are, you're married and or you're single. If you're single, it'll help you discover the type of spouse that you want to have in your life. If you're married, it should have created a wonderful conversation. If you had that conversation and you ended up in conflict, today is your day. Today we're going to talk about, in Ball and Chain, how to be one in conflict. That sounds like a real oxymoron. How can you be one in conflict? Conflict always divides. True, conflict does begin the division process. But conflict can actually become something that's healthy if we strive to be one in it, which literally means just to be more Christ-centered or be more godly in the way that we handle conflict. Because how many of you guys have had a conflict in a relationship, whether it was marriage, work-related, or whatever, you had a conflict of some, of some manner this week? If you're honest, a lot of hands are going to go up. The conflicts are happening all the time. In fact, around our world right now, there are, there are, there's hundreds of conflicts that are happening. Some of them are minor. 
Some of them are major. Um, but we've got some conflicts that are happening around the world that are causing, you know, over a thousand people to have given, given their lives for the current conflict. And on our screens behind us, you'll see that these countries that are in, and I don't know why this one isn't grayed. It's like most of the world disappeared on us. So we'll have to get, we'll have to get that fixed between this service and that service. Don't worry. America is still here. All right. This wants you to know, even though we did lose, all right, in hockey. Ah, ah, those stinking Americans. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so when you're looking at our screen, which this thing can probably go away because it doesn't have it doesn't have the right stuff on it, but the dark countries, they had over a thousand people that were in that gave their lives in conflicts. And those lighter colored countries were just they were less than a thousand, and that's that's just happening like right now. Think of things that you've been reading in your newspaper or that you've been seeing on the news like Ukraine and what's happening there where civil unrest is taking place and basically a revolution um, of striving for some kind of freedom that people are asking for. And, you know, we've already, we've already seen a total death toll of somewhere around 77 and the number could be higher than that. That's just the number that the government's put out. Or think about places like Syria right now. Syria, where somewhere around 140,000 people have died in this civil war that's going on, currently still happening to this very day in Syria. There's great conflicts that are happening around our planet today. Conflicts like that happened in our past history, where we had one of our bloodiest wars ever, you know, in our own civil war that took place right here on our own nation. You know, where the north versus the south and all those types of things that went on. We've, we've seen a lot of death in the midst of conflict. And there's also very petty conflicts. Very petty ones. Like back in March of 2011 when a woman in California was arguing with her husband. And while arguing with her husband, they took it out of the house. They went out into the car and the husband just decides, I'm getting in the car and I'm leaving. So he hops in the 1999, you know, uh, minivan and he, he fires it up and his wife is standing outside banging on the window like, you will not leave. We're going to finish this thing. You know, whatever was going on. So she jumps onto the hood and he takes off. He drives for the next 35 miles, 35 miles at, at temperatures um, that were pretty cold. She was seen hanging on to the windshield wipers at certain points while he was driving over a hundred miles an hour down an interstate. Someone tracked them and followed them the entire distance. Cops were being called all along the way. Obviously, they pulled it, they pulled it over as the car slowed down. She fell off because she had gone into basically hypothermia. That's conflicts that are petty, that we end up making major. Now, you may not have held on to the windshield wipers, but how many petty conflicts have you had that you've made major? Yes, yeah, probably a lot of them. And those don't have to be have to be just in, uh, in marriages. Those are just things that happen in relationships all over the place. Am I right about that? If you're breathing today, you get the chance to enjoy conflict. Yeah. You're like, that's really weird. Why would you say enjoy conflict? I don't know. It just sounded good. So it just felt good to say. You get to enjoy conflict. No one likes conflict. If you like conflict, you've got problems. All right? If you're one of those kind of guys that you like conflict, you've got problems. We're going to have conflict over all types of things. In marriages, as an example, we have our main conflicts that are built around things like money. You know, you spent this, I can't believe that. You should have never spent that. I can't believe, we have no money in the checking account. Okay, those kind of things. Sex, 
That's, the, that's another top five um, uh, issue that we end up arguing about. Uh, work. You're going to be at work again tonight? I can't believe you. Do you even know us anymore? You know, or why do you keep bringing work home or the children? How we're going to discipline the children. That's probably one of the big arguments that happens. You know, someone thinks they need to go set in time out. The other one thinks that they need to be, you know, spanked. One thinks they need to have the car taken away. And the other one thinks they need to be given a cell phone so we can track them wherever they go. I mean, we just have all kinds of ideas that happen with our kids. And then lastly, this is the housework, you know? Where someone didn't do their chore, and now, now the other person's gonna, they're gonna chop off their head for it. And we get into these big conflicts, and we, we handle conflict in all different types of ways. Find yourself in this next list of how you deal with conflict. Some of you, you shy away from conflict. In fact, conflict makes you sick to your stomach. And right now, just talking about conflict inside of you, you get anxious. And you're like, oh, I don't like conflict. I want to try to avoid it at all costs. If you think there's a conflict, you'll stay away. If you think something you're going to say is going to even create even a minor conflict, you won't say it at all. You would rather get overridden. You would rather have someone drop you to the ground, stomp on your back, than end up in conflict. I want to let you know today, that's not healthy. Others of you, you pounce on conflict. You look for it, once you see it, home, you're in there. You know, your talons are out and you are ready to go to war. And I'm not just talking about some kind of like, you know, cat fight issue. I'm talking, you just are ready mentally, physically, you're ready for it. Some of you, that's kind of how you go through life. It's part of your defense mechanism. It's part of how you decided, I'm not going to let people get close to me. I want you to know today, that's not healthy. Others of you, you decide and you calculate conflict. You decide, I'm going to jump in when I think I can win. But if I can't win, I'm not jumping in. Right? So you kind of let conflict develop and you maybe play it safe and you kind of maintain your position until all of a sudden you see the window of opportunity to jump in and seize it and wham, you jump in and now you let all the dynamite of your life go off and because you think that you can win. That's not healthy either. Others of you, you never bring complete resolve to your conflict because to you it's power. Now you get a chance to hold this issue over the head of someone else, whether it's the person that you're married to or it's someone that works for you. So you never completely resolve it. You kind of let it get to this moment where it kind of goes to this gray zone and then you back away. If it was a moment where you should, you know, you should say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? You kind of get to that moment and you go, okay, well, I think we'll just move on from here. And you hang on to it. And you want to use that now as as ammunition over someone else. I'm telling you, that's not healthy either. The only healthy way is to resolve conflict and then to figure out how to move on. So what does it really mean to be one in conflict? It just simply means to deal with conflict in a godly way and in God's timing. So I want to help you to do that today. First thing you got to realize is you you got to have um, realistic expectations. Over my shoulder here is going to be Javier Sotomayor. Now, Javier set the world record for the high jump in 1993s from Cuba. He set it in 1993 when he, when he high jumped over eight feet. This is eight feet tall. All right. I'm, I'm less than six feet. You got to put another two feet on top of me 
And this man got his body up and over the whole thing. He set a world record, which, by the way, is still the world record. It's the longest standing record for a high jump in the history of the sport. That's pretty awesome. And I believe that year that, um, you know, Cuba... Cuba wasn't able to even participate in the Olympics, or he probably could have gone on to win some kind of a big medal. So this, this record still sits today. If, in setting your expectations for your spouse, if setting them requires them to beat a world record in everything they do, get ready for conflict. Because no one can jump like that. No one's beat that record since 1993. Um, it, it, they haven't, you know able to achieve that. That's been a long time of development and athletic development, a lot of development in how we train and how we build muscles. So if your expectation for your spouse is that they have to beat a world record every single time, you're getting ready for a lot of conflict. If, if they, As an example, let me give you a couple of hypotheticals. If they always have to be on time, that's an unrealistic expectation. Some of you always like to get to church on time, but today you didn't make it. All right? So if I... My expectation for all of you that are here is that you're on time and then you walk in the door right now. Well, then I would be pretty torqued, right? So that's not my expectation. My expectation is that you're actually here 15 minutes early. So take that. No, that's not my expectation. My expectation is that you come and when you come, you come with a smile on your face and you come with a hungry heart that goes, God, I want to know you more. And if you're a guest here with us, then you're coming just to experience what's happening, to see if this is a place where you want to fit in and belong. And my expectation is that you would walk away just going, this is a place where I want to belong. Maybe maybe your expectation is set at this world record level, level where um, they always your spouse always has to have the house or their portion of the house shiny and clean at all times. And there isn't any time or any room for any dust to be left anywhere or for that matter, any toothpaste to be left in the sink or any smudge to be on the mirror or for any dirt to be left in the garage even though you did just pull in after driving down a really dirty road or for the car to always be clean. I apologize, honey, for that. Um, that's, that is an expectation that I... Not the outside, because if you see the outside of my car, I'm very proud of a Jeep that has dirt on the outside. Jeeps should have dirt on the outside, by the way. All right? Um, but a Buick should probably stay clean. That's just kind of my expectation. All right? That's just kind of... The, in the world I live in, as crazy as it sounds, that's where I live. Or if, you, if your expectation is one where your spouse always has to drive just like you, you're going to end up with problems. Amen. Right? <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew. I knew it was coming. That's an area, that is definitely an area where Kim and I have had to try to figure out how to make some things happen. I want to tell you about an example that we heard of and that we've tried to implement at different times um, about driving here in just a second. But unrealistic expectations. When we set unrealistic expectations for one another, really what we're doing is we're setting each other up for failure. Instead, we should follow Colossians 3.13 which says something like this. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Make an allowance. You know what that means, to make an allowance? It means, number one, you see the fault. You can see it. It's there. It's standing out there. It's in full color. It's in 3D. You choose to not do anything about it. Because you've you've got to realize that When you take minor issues and you make them major, 
Really all you're doing is, I see your fault, but I just want you to know about it. I see it. And what does it, what does it do? It just really, it just kind of makes you feel more powerful and more strong and it, it defeats them. Another way, and in other passages that are, are other translations of the same passage, excuse me, it will say instead of making allowance, it will say put up with. I think that's a really good way to say make allowances. Put up with one another's faults. That just kind of comes right out and just, it just kind of says, find a way to deal with it. So this driving thing, find a way to deal with it. Make allowances. We heard that there was another couple that decided that when they drove, if the husband was driving, the husband could decide how they were going to get to a certain location, right? So if we wanted to go eat at Skeeter Barnes, if I wanted to drive, you know, down 30th, down to 11th, and then cut over, and then go on 2nd because I want to skip all the street lights, then I could do that. But if Kim was driving, she could drive down 39th the second, go through all the streetlights just to get there if she wants to. We heard that, right? So we said, let's try to implement that in our own, except for I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. So when, <laughs> we don't quite need that many amens, but, um, but it is good. <laughs> it is, it's very true. I have a hard time. So I've actually created a problem in my marriage. I've created a conflict that's an ongoing conflict. The conflict is, honestly, my wife doesn't feel comfortable driving. Because of my past behavior and what I've said and how I've nitpicked all over. And now it's hard for me to get her to drive so I can even prove to her, honey, I think I'm a different man. There's a lot of consequences to our conflict at times. You know? There's, uh, there's things that happen. If we don't make allowances, if we, don't, if we don't put up with, then we actually push down. We restrict and we confine. We wound people over time. We take away their confidence. So how can we set realistic expectations for each other? I want to talk to you about doing that, but I want to show you through a, a few scriptures, maybe some things you can do to set more realistic expectations for one another that will avoid conflict. Proverbs 12 says this. It says, Fools think that their own way is right, but the wise, they listen to others. Only a fool thinks that his way or her way is the only right way. It's the only way to accomplish something. But the wise, the wise actually seek counsel from each other. If you find yourself getting in an argument over the same thing, time after time after time after time, you end up with a conflict in the same scenario, moment after moment after moment, I want to encourage you to do what the scripture says. Go find some godly men. Go find some godly women. Some people that are going to be honest with you. Let them know about the scenario. Tell them, we keep having a problem in the same situation. This is my expectation. Is that a godly expectation? Is that something that God wants me to set for my spouse or set for my coworker? Is that something or my, or my roommate that I've got? You know, maybe you're in college and you've got a few roommates and you just keep having the same conflict. Go to some godly people and ask them, is that a realistic expectation? And let them coach you through that process. That's why it's so important to be in a life group. That's why it's so important to have godly people around you. Not just people that are going to tell you what your little itchy ear wants to hear. Because they'll keep you in the heat of conflict. So practice that. If you have the same issue, go to someone that's godly. Here's another way that you can set realistic expectations. Look at Luke chapter 6. It says, Do to others 
as you would like them to do to you. Heard that before, right? Do to others as you would have them do to you. One of the things that you should practice is putting yourself in the other person's shoes. You put yourself in their shoes and start now role playing the, the expectation that you, you, that you were setting and see how it feels for a moment. Now your knee jerk reaction is going to go, well, it feels perfect because I'm the one that said it. Yeah. Is it really? It's probably, if it's an expectation where there's a continual argument over and over and over and over and over again, it may be unrealistic. It may be something that maybe you can't even achieve. But put yourself in that situation. But to do that means you're going to have to know your, your spouse's love language. Because everybody communicates differently. Some of you, you communicate love based on time. Time spent with you says your spouse loves you. Others of you, you, you base it off of touch. There's a hug. There's a kiss that's needed. You know, and that's how you get, have the security of knowing your spouse really loves you. Some of you, it's gifts. And it doesn't have to be expensive gifts. It's just every once in a while that you come home with a rose or every once in a while you come home, you know, and there's some kind of little gift. It doesn't have to be expensive. Or acts of service. That's definitely one of mine. One of my main love languages is this, you know, doing simple things. You know, when I come home and my wife has, you know, whether she's, maybe she deep cleaned the, the bathroom or something like that. Um, she doesn't have to say a lot. Normally it stands out to me and I see those types of things and I just, there's something inside of me. I, I tell her, honey, thank you. That, that's awesome. Little things like that stand out to me. Um, acts of service. For some of you, it might just be words. You need words of encouragement. So if you truly are going to follow this passage and do unto others as you would have them do to you, you're going to have to put yourself in their shoes. Can't just be about you. You'll never figure it out if it's just about you. You know, a couple of years ago, about three years ago, my wife and I were having some major arguments and conflicts that were going on. And we just kind of came to this point where we said, this is ridiculous. You know, we've been married now for 26 years. So at that point, it was 23 years. 23 years. What are we going to do at 23 years? Are we going to throw the towel in? That, that's, that's just ridiculous. Don't do that. Let's, let's figure out how to get through this. And so we, were, we had a lot of conflict going on. We decided to ask each other a simple question. Do you know what my love language is? Now, there's a book that's written about the five love languages. Many of you are aware of it. If you're not aware of it, I would encourage you to read it. And we talked a little bit about our love languages. And to our surprise, our love language had changed over time. As we had grown older, as we had grown more mature, things changed in our lives and our love language was maturing and it was changing and we were, we were back in an old school kind of a mindset and we had to speed up and catch up. And once we came to an understanding and a value of one another's love language, it unlocked our relationship and things started flowing and they started going again. And man, we go back, we talked about it. Even this week as I was preparing this message, my wife reminded me about that conversation in our downtown apartment in Omaha and how powerful that one moment was, you know, sitting there on our bed, in our bedroom, and then taking a moment just to pray with each other. There was something powerful about that because we put, each, we put one another in each other's shoes to try to figure it out. How else can you set realistic expectations? Take a look at what Philippians has to say. It says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Don't look only for your own interests. You know what this is really kind of trying to drive home for us? When it says, take an interest in others too. 
you have to check the true motive of your expectations. What is, what's driving your expectation? Some of you, you have unrealistic expectations for one another that are driven out of your own pride because of how you think it makes you look. I remember as a father with my kids, I set a lot of unrealistic expectations for my children out of pride because I didn't want them to behave a certain way, act a certain way, do a certain thing because I felt like that reflected back on me. Could have been a good expectation, but the motive behind it was wrong. That makes the outcome, it's going to be something that's unhealthy. So is your expectation built out of your pride? Or maybe your expectation is built out of your selfishness. Right? Where it's just really all about you. You do this thing because I am happy now. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with a mutual relationship between one another. It's just, I set these things because it makes me happy. That, my friends, is very selfish. And that motive will never allow you to set true, healthy expectations for one another. Another another thing, when we're trying to take an interest in one another that is not going to work in setting healthy expectations, is if that expectation is set with a domineering type of a spirit. Where really it's just about you being in control. Domineering. You become the dictator of your family. It doesn't have to be just a guy. That can also be a mom. That can be a wife. But the domineering spirit where you just want to be in control, that will always get you in trouble and you'll never set healthy expectations. Your motives in setting expectations and taking an interest in one another need to be based on love and grace. Love and grace. Just like God's interest towards you. You gotta remember, God's interest towards you and His expectations for you are set on love and grace as He sent His Son Jesus Christ to give His life on the cross for you even while you were still a sinner. Even when you didn't meet His expectation. Even when you couldn't achieve it. And even when He realized His expectation for you is righteous and holy to be 100% perfect, which, by the way, you and me can never achieve. So God, instead of changing that, because if God changes that unrealistic expectation of you being 100% pure and righteous in your own act, that would make God unholy. God says, I'm going to show you love and I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to build a bridge for you so that you can meet my expectation. I'm going to show love and grace. That's what God asks of you and me to do when you're considering the interest of others in setting realistic expectations. Now, what happens when conflict, conflict arrives? Because conflict is still going to arrive no matter how hard you work at setting realistic expectations. Conflict is still going to come. It will come. Well, that's where I got a handout in your bulletin that I want you to kind of look at with me. There's a handout. I call it the conflict, um, conflict cycle. There's a few, there's a few pieces to it. I just kind of want to walk you through it really quick. I want to help you understand maybe where you're at in some current conflict, how you can get yourself out of it. All right. The first thing that happens is there's a point of tension. This is where friction begins, right? This is where someone feels hurt. This is where someone feels betrayed. Someone feels mistreated. Something's happened. You've said something. You've done something. You have not met the expectation. Now there's a point of tension that happens. Kim and I had a recent point of tension. You know, I couldn't find my wallet and I, I swore I left it on the kitchen counter. And now I'm like, what did you do with my wallet? 
I got to go. I need my credit cards. I need my cash. What did you do with my wallet? And I'm just like, I'm, I'm like, Ad did. I, I know I left it there. I can see it in my head. It's right there. There's my cash kind of hanging there with it. You know, it's all there. What did you do with it? You put it someplace. You, you cleaned up. You moved it around. Only to find out maybe about 20 minutes later, it was in my jean pockets. A point of tension that ended up creating a whole different set of conflict of which we worked through, but a point of tension nevertheless. And I was creating it. What is your point of tension? What's going on? Once a point of tension happens and that moment takes place and someone gets in their car and they drive to work or someone goes downstairs to watch TV and they leave the other, leave the other spouse upstairs. Now, now a person drifts into this asking questions like, what did I do to deserve this? If they love me, why would they treat me like this? You know, did I do something wrong? You know, why would they hurt me? Or why would they betray me? Now, these are all good questions, by the way. All right? And by the way, this is the best time for you to resolve conflict. But the only way you can do that is take these questions and go to your spouse and ask them. Ask your spouse. But if you're going to resolve conflict, you've got to ask them with the right attitude. Or otherwise, they become like darts that you, you pull back and you fire at them, you know, left and right. That's not going to resolve conflict. But if you want to get past the conflict instantaneously, you ask them the questions that start rolling around in your head. And you address conflict quickly, just like Ephesians 4 has to say. It says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. First off, I want to let you know, right up front, while you're still angry, you're going to get angry. That's not the sin. The sin is what you do with the anger. If you strike out with those questions, now you're in sin. But if you get angry, that doesn't mean that you've necessarily sinned yet. It's that if you don't deal with it, I guarantee you, you will. And it will come in in an instant. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. That's the part that in a marriage you should really be fearful of. In a godly way. A foothold... A foothold is something that gets in there, it gets stuck, and it's almost so deep, you can't get it out. It's like a wedge that starts driving between two pieces, between a piece of wood, and it's trying to split it, and the wedge is so far down that the piece of wood is just hanging on by splinters. That's what a foothold does. It keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper until the marriage completely splits apart. Footholds from the devil are what end up taking marriages to the brink. They're catastrophic. Do you deal with those things quickly? Never go to bed angry. Never go to bed in conflict. Well, what happens, Jeff, when we can't resolve the conflict before we go to bed? What happens when we're tired? What happens when it's 11 o'clock at night and we're just arguing because we're exhausted? Then do what Kim and I do. Call the 10 o'clock rule. What's the 10 o'clock rule? It just means that at any given point after 10 o'clock, if we are arguing about something and our emotions are out there and we're not thinking straight because we're tired and I've been, you know, I've had too many espressos at 8 o'clock at night and my wife's tired, right? Then we can call the 10 o'clock rule, which simply means we're going to pick this up in the morning. We're going to put a pause here. I love you, but we can't resolve this right now. So let's talk again in the morning or let's talk tomorrow over lunch. Tomorrow morning, we're going different ways. We're going to pick this up tomorrow. After. Okay, we set a time when we're going to deal with it. That's important, guys. Just go to bed angry without setting a time when you're going to deal with something. So that's what happens when you start asking questions. Now, listen to me carefully, right? 
Um, if you don't jump straight to the confrontation on that, on that piece of paper, if you don't jump straight to the confrontation, then the conflict will get worse before it gets better. So if you don't, in that asking questions, go and deal with that and have a confrontation, which scares some of you, but if you don't do that, then you're going to drift to the next stage, which is called gathering ammunition. In gathering ammunition, we begin looking for all kinds of reasons why the other person is 100% at fault. Right? We start looking for ways to get even at them. We start noticing every little thing that they do that aggravates us, and we start lashing back out, and we start tallying it, and we start adding it up in our reservoir of ammunition. Like, now you're really frustrated at them about the things that you've never seen before, right? And you start thinking of all their past failures, and all that ammo starts building up inside of you, and you start loading your clips. And why do you load your clips, and why do you gather ammunition? Why does a country build bombs? Why do we build bombs? To use them in a war. Why do you gather ammunition? To use them in a future war that's getting ready to happen between the two of you. You're like the old military that stood there on the line with the old muskets and the ball. And you know they've loaded it up with the black powder and they've got it there and the army's coming and the commander's going, Steady! 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 Fire! And then you let it go. And inside of you, you're going, study. But, oh man, but you're building up ammunition. Study. And then all of a sudden, that conflict happens in the kitchen. And boom! You say things you never wanted to say. You hurt more deeply than you ever hurt a person. You do things that you totally regret. Avoid this stage at all costs in your conflict. Instead, instead, follow Matthew chapter 7. Which says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? It says that you're a hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you can see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. No one is perfect. Everybody has specks. Everybody has logs in their eyes. But you, if you're married in this place, you're married to the person that's designed to help you get the speck out of your eye. You're married to the person that's designed to help you do that. But you'll never help your, you'll never have, help your spouse get the speck out of their eye if all you have is your crosshairs set on them. Your crosshairs are set on someone and you're building ammunition and you're ready to fire at them. How can you ever help them get the speck out of their eye? Because you're blinded by the log in your own. And the log is growing thicker and deeper and broader and wider every moment that you gather another piece of ammunition. So unresolved conflict is going to, it can't last forever. It's going to go someplace. And eventually it comes to a confrontation. Now, the confrontation is a lot easier if you haven't gone through the gathering ammunition stage. All right? If you just went straight to it, it's going to be a lot easier. If you've gathered too much ammunition, you may need a third person there. You may need a counselor. You may need a pastor. You may need a life, a life coach. Uh, or you may need a life group leader. You may need somebody that loves you that will be, you know, um, that will stand in the middle and just kind of help you navigate through this difficult stage of your life if you've gathered too much ammunition. But one thing is for certain. You can't get around the confrontation stage if you want to resolve conflict. And some of you, you're so scared of confrontation that you let conflict just kind of go on and that builds up inside of you. 
And that's where we get passive-aggressive people, is that they, they don't deal with conflict, and they never come to a confrontation, and all of that anger and all that frustration builds up, and then they suppress it. And it builds up, and then they suppress it. And it builds up to a moment where they can't suppress it any longer. And then, boom, the top blows. And there you are, standing out there in all of your glory. We have to deal with conflict. And to do that, we have to get to a point of confrontation. So how do you, how do you make sure that the confrontation can go the best possible? First off, this might sound weird, but you actually need to schedule confrontation. Schedule it instead of just allowing it to happen because when it, when it just is happening, typically people don't respond correctly. So you got to schedule it. And what I mean by that is, again, going back to some of my past points, think about your, think about your, your spouse. When would they best be able to deal with confrontation? When would they best be able to deal with this scenario? And where would that be? Would that be in the comfort of your living room or would that be at a coffee table, you know, out at baristas? I don't know where that would be for you, but you've got to figure that out. And it's not just about you. It's more about them if you want to have a healthy resolve to your confrontation. And you need to ask God. You need to be praying and seeking God that God would give you a spirit of gentleness and that he would speak through you. And then you need to be willing to control your tongue. Never, ever in a point of confrontation. If you're married in this room, should you ever use words like divorce? Never throw divorce around like it's some ultimatum. Never throw words like separation around, like you're going to have control over someone else. That is unhealthy conflict. It's unhealthy in your arguments to throw things like that. Never throw past failures back in people's faces. If there was a past failure, if there was a past conflict where someone wounded you deeply and you forgave them, leave it in the past. All it really shows is that you didn't truly forgive if what you have to do is keep bringing up past ammunition to throw it in a coworker's face, a spouse's face, a child's face, or anyone else's. And then the classics, like things like don't, don't, don't use words like you always or you never. Those are classics. Those other ones, I wanted you to hear loud and clear. Because I think that we play into the hand of the enemy all too often and we use these words and these ultimatums and we throw them around like they're candy. So... If you want to have a healthy resolve to this, then you're going to have to pick the right moments, you're going to have to behave the right way, and you're going to have to come at it with the right heart. Or otherwise, guess what you get to go do again? The conflict, the confrontation doesn't go the way it ought to. You go back to gathering ammunition. You just fired some, but you may not have fired it at all. And you know how to build it because you've just been in that stage. And you go right back to gathering more of it. I'm telling you, you're getting ready for World War III in your marriage. But if you can get through that because you've designed it correctly, you've prayed about it, you've got your spirit in the right place, now you can move on to the next stage, which is making adjustments. This is where new realistic expectations can be discussed. They can be agreed upon. Both sides, they need to have a clear understanding of what those expectations are. You need to take a moment to where you can pray and you can seek God and you can, lay, you can grab a hold of one another. You can give each other a hug and you can pray for each other. It's the best way to, to make those adjustments is to agree upon them, to pray about them, and bring God into the center of them. Then you can get to the last stage, which is resolving it. Now it's over, right? There still might be pain. There still might be conflict. Um, that causes that conflict causes pain, by the way. So there still might be pain that you got to deal with, right? And remember this: only God can help you with your pain. God is the one who relieves you of your pain. So if you still have pain from past conflict, where should you go with it? 
You should run to God and ask God, help me get through this. And then choose to truly just let it go forever. Just let it go. So use that handout that I gave you to find out where you're at in a conflict. And then I wrote some questions there for you to help you process that whole thing. So that way you can kind of jump in wherever you're at and start resolving some of the conflicts that you have to get a healthier marriage. Lastly, though, you got to forgive. Look at what Colossians 3.13, we showed you the first part. Let me show you what the rest of it says. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. That's what we talked about earlier. It actually went on to say, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must what? You must forgive others. Please remember no one's perfect, right? And they never will be, not even your spouse. But God forgave you, guess what God did? God, when he forgives, says that he forgets. What's your mission in forgiving? Your mission in forgiving is forgetting. How do I do that, Jeff? Because my mind is like a trap. I've got that picture. It's in there. I have those words. I have that sentence that they said to me, and it's stuck inside of there. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to overshadow that bad moment, that bad memory, with a whole ton of good ones. When you start figuring out how to deal with conflict in your marriage, you start developing healthy memories and healthy scenarios, all of a sudden, the conflict of the past and the memories of the past, they drift away. They drift away naturally. But you've got to work on that together to create those moments, right? One of the things you can, that can help you forgive is to remember, remember that you've been forgiven by God. Just remember that. When it comes time to forgive someone, you remember the fact that God forgave you And if God forgave you, then God's asking you to forgive others. The greatest conflict that you've got going on right now is a conflict between you and God. It's your sin. Your sin is your greatest conflict with God. Take a look. Take a look at what James 4 has to say. It says this. It says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because what? You don't ask God for it. Your biggest conflict right now is not with some other human. Your biggest conflict is actually with God. And it's your, it's your, um, sense of, it's your sense of what God has done for you, what what God has blessed you with or what he hasn't blessed you with. It's your contentment with God that's causing your greatest conflict. And until you get that conflict resolved, you'll never resolve other conflicts on this earth. Conflicts on this earth get resolved when we resolve the conflict that we have with God. When sin separates us from God, we've got a conflict. We've got to deal with it. We've got to resolve it. When we're angry at God for something that's happened, that our spouse did, and we were like, I can't believe that. If they really loved me, God, why would you allow that to happen? Our, many of our conflicts are first with God, second with people. You've got to run to God and deal with that. Then God can help you heal your expectations. Then God can help you actually truly forgive others. So today, your greatest conflict is actually with God. What is your move today in worship? Your move first is surrender to God. Your move first is to make Jesus the Lord and leader of your life. In worship, to come before Him and go, God, I want you to be the center of my life to help me resolve the conflicts that are all around me. And to find contentment completely in God. To run to God and go, God, I want my, I want my fullness. 
and my joy and my peace to be found in you. Because if you're trying to find that in your spouse, you're always going to have conflict. Because they'll never be able to do that for you. Because God didn't design them to fulfill all of your joy and to have all of your peace. They're human. They have flaws. You have to put up with them, remember? You have to make allowances for them. That's why God says, come to me, run to me, find your contentment completely in me. I'll help you set expectations correctly. I'll help you forgive. you got to press towards God's heart today to know God and to experience God. That's where conflict gets resolved, in you knowing God and experiencing God today. So if you've got conflict that's raging, or you, or you've ever had it, because you know it's going to come again, your move today is to run to God and to grab a hold of His heart and to sound more like Him, look more like Him, behave more like Him. Capture God's heart, His character, and His nature. That'll be your true guide through conflict. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. So Father, we come, we come in Jesus' name. Lord, we're just confessing right now, we don't like conflict. Many of us in this room, we, don't, we, we wish that there wasn't another day of conflict, another scenario of conflict in all of our lives. But yet, you know what? It's probably going to come. So Lord, there's a way for us to deal with it that's healthy, and there's a way for us to deal with it that causes more destruction. Maybe in our past we've dealt with conflict that just created more conflict. Or we've had conflicts that we've just subdued and we've just pushed down because we thought that was the godly way to do it. Just let it go. But we never really truly let it go. It's just festered on the inside of us. God, we need to bring old conflicts to you that will never be resolved any other way. We've got to bring them to you and let you heal our hearts from them. We have to take current conflicts We have to run to you and we have to make sure that, first off, our conflict between man and you, between us and you, is dealt with first. So that we can be most healthy and whole. Then, God, you'll help us heal these earthly conflicts that we have. We don't want to become the ball at the end of anyone's chain. And that's including you, God. So, Lord, would you help us to cut these chains that offend and wound and abuse one another so that we can be more healthy in our relationships. That we could act, behave, think, and love a little bit more like Jesus does. In Jesus' name, amen.